Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And happy Halloween, everybody. We're so close. It's almost Halloween. It's basically like a rounding situation, just round up. I really feel like Halloween is kind of like birthdays and that you can celebrate all month long. You can celebrate the month after. I'm so surprised you didn't say pride that you celebrate all month long. I mean, I do celebrate, pride is a year-round thing for me, though. Like, I will be celebrating pride every Mm -hmm. day. I will be celebrating Halloween every day. I will just wake up every morning and toast my coffee to uh, Marsha P. Johnson every day for the rest of my life. Amen. And I'll do the same to Satan. That's great. Really, we've got to get balance here. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know if you know this, but my very first memory ever, like, in the existence of my tiny life is doing my mom's makeup for Halloween. No way. Yeah. How old were you? I was probably four. I think I was like four or five. Um, She, yes, she was a clown. And I remember like drawing all over her face with some lipstick and all kinds of shit. And she was like, have at it. I remember her being like, this is actually pretty good. And I think that little bit of like, it built confidence in me. That was the moment you almost became a makeup artist for the first time? Exactly. Yeah. Which is not even a joke, you guys. Like, I literally wanted to be a makeup artist for a really long time. You're super fucking talented, and you've been featured in things before. You. You've done, yes. like, movie makeup stuff. Yeah. You're incredible. Thank you so much. It You're was. Welcome. I, I still, I dabble. Yeah. I dabble. Yeah, you will be doing my makeup for Halloween, probably. Do you remember when you had that Halloween party, and I did that beautiful skull on your yeah. face mm-hmm. and the spider i remember being so fucking proud of that spider you nailed that spider i'm Thank sure you. we can find pictures i i have pictures i think on my personal instagram oh cool we'll have to photoshop some other people out of it but that's fine that's we can fine. do that it's fine <laughs> um, no big deal but halloween is like one of those things that like just gives you life yeah so i fucking love halloween and one of my very favorite things for years and years was the adams family it's still one of my favorite halloween movies oh yeah i was wednesday adams every year for halloween for at least four years like wow i think you maybe i think you said something about that on the podcast before have i i think so i really hate that i ruined that for myself so <laughs> maybe if we have new listen- it listeners it sounds they don't familiar know. it sounds familiar but can, i love that it's it's very like the opposite of your personality i don't know i definitely have a dark and twistier side that people just don't see when they first meet me because i'm charming and delightful mm-hmm. a little twisty bobcat pretzel yeah but then you get down you're like oh you're actually wednesday adams i'm like thanks it's the trauma mm. it's the mental health shove it down shove it down that's so funny i just don't see that for you that's so interesting i think it's also like the Adams family was supposed to be the antithesis of all things that were normative. Mainstream. Yeah, exactly. So it was like an actual happy family and happy relationship mm-hmm. and they were really healthy. They just wore black all the time and like yeah. I was all about it. They were so in love, Morticia and Gomez. Soup stoops. So in love. Hashtag goals. Seriously. Yeah. I think we all wanted to be her. Everyone wanted to either be with her or be her. And I was like a shrimp basket combo. Absolutely. So my future partner, if you are listening Mm -hmm. out in the universe, one day or two day, uh, you will be Gomez to my Morticia at some point. Or maybe I'll be Gomez. That's it. Yeah. That'd be a fun little twister roof. 
Let someone else be Morticia. I love that. Probably not. We are going together this weekend to visit our BFFs at Chick Shit Podcast. Hey. Hey, guys. We are super excited. So this is coming out on Thursday. We will be there on Saturday. We're not going to share exactly where we'll be, but we'll all be together. And I'll we be will dressing up, looking like a snack. Making videos. Like a charcuterie board. Maybe making some TikToks, because... I'm really scared about this TikTok situation. Are I you? feel like I've been signed up for things. <laughs> <laughs> There's a list somewhere. I have been saving uh, audios for quite some time for us. So, for us? Yeah. So I really am hopeful that our dear friends LJ and I will give us the runaround for how TikTok works, because I don't actually know. I've just been saving sounds. Well, and you're like a TikTok connoisseur. We've been talking about that since episode one. Oh, yeah. I love the TikTok. But you hate the idea of being in them. So this will be a really big treat. Yeah. You practically have to pull my teeth to get me to do even a five-second video for our Instagram page. So You popped up like a, a daisy just now like a like a champ. Thank you. I, would pra- I practiced. Like, my soul geared up for it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pop out. I had a beer and a half. So really. Yeah you know, liquid courage here. The edge is off. Yeah. Um, I did prepare a skeleton dance the whole way over because I'm wearing my skeleton sweater that yeah. I've had for years. Um, I will not actually be performing the skeleton dance that I was preparing. Well, you but. texted me like on your way. You're like, by the way, I've dressed up so that we can take photos. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I am in my pajim jams. So uh, I did a quick, quick, You know, I had my eyebrows on and stuff, so my face was ready, but my body was not. No, nothing about me was ready. I was just like, I really want to wear this skeleton sweater. You were ready as fuck. Okay, but the lipstick was already in my bag. Okay. I have not done anything else to my face today. Really? Since, like, this morning. That natural beauty. Thank you. Natural beauty, beauty. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so, um, soups, dupes, excited for both of our Halloween costumes. My final piece came in yesterday good shout out to the delivery guys i was gonna say thank you so much thank you for all the people who deliver packages oh yeah the busy season's coming up oh my goodness those of you who deliver our letters to all of our patreons that's right big shout outs there's another round that went out on friday so by the time this this episode comes out people sh- who the next round of people who receiving theirs should have received them perfect cool we also got another request for a p.o box we should get a p.o box we should then. get a p.o box if we've had a few at this point i think that we should go ahead and get a p.o box let's do it can i sign you up for that if you would that'd be great um yeah, I, would can, lo- I would love that that would be great for me it would be great for us if you would if you would handle that <laughs> yeah i can handle that thank just you just so long as you don't ask me to handle social media no i got it thank you i got it as we just covered i have anxiety about being in videos so i will handle the p.o box it's what's so funny is that a, a long time ago i was like okay if i'm gonna handle social media I need you to send me all of your, like, just selfies. I need selfies all the time. So then sometimes I get bombarded with, like, all of these selfies from you with, like, your coffee and you're looking super cute. And then I look like a monster. (laughs) So then you are our predominant social media presence. Well, because I am not ready. Well, the issue is that I don't take selfies unless I feel confident because I, again, have anxiety about being on camera. So I have to be like looking cute and you do look 
cute. Thank you. Thank you. You really do. You got a cute apartment. All your shit's cute. On point. Love it. Yep. You're cute, too. I don't know why you think you look like a monster. I'm proud of you. You look great all the time. So relatable. I feel like we're just going to hype each other up forever. Have we talked about how the idea of being relatable has been the most healing thing for my no like anxiety? Let's talk about it. So you presented this idea that we don't need to be perfect. We just need to be relatable, like pretty early on in the podcast, maybe mm-hmm. even before our first episode came out. Because I think it was one of the times that I had like just a total breakdown and was calling you. I was like, things aren't going well and mm-hmm. I'm anxious. And you're like, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be relatable. Mm-hmm. And since then, life has gotten so much easier. I apply it to everything. Like yeah. my work does not have to be perfect. It just has to be done. And my boss and my coworkers will understand because life is relatable. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, that's a good point. Yeah, like friends too. If I have to cancel on somebody, they'll get it because we're all living in this shared reality mm-hmm. and therefore life is relatable. Yeah. And and specifically like having like a social media presence or like having a podcast in general, like you're putting content out for other people to essentially judge you. Yeah. And everybody has their insecurities about sounding a certain way or having their content be perceived a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like we don't have to, you know, have our shit together. We do not. In fact, we don't most of the time. And Absolutely okay. not. But, you know, we're just, we're doing this because we enjoy it and because we love our audience. So much. And we actually have one, which is counterintuitive to our name. <laughs> and it's just been the best experience ever. I am so fucking happy we did this. And being relatable is one of the bigger parts of it because whenever I'm speaking into this microphone or screaming into the void, I don't constantly have to worry about being perfect yeah because that's just not a reality exactly and i don't think anyone expects perfection from us as much as we do of ourselves yeah well good because you're not gonna get it (laughs) (laughs) not gonna get it yeah well speaking of podcasts we have kind of a halloweeny yeah um episode Sort of. I'm trying to figure out how to make mine Halloweeny. <laughs> I was like, "Is yours Halloweeny? Good, because <laughs> it is not. It's Halloween adjacent. It has word the same letters of Halloween in some of the words that you will be saying today. That's a fact. Yeah, That's we a can link up right there. <laughs> we can accurately say that that is the case. Um, if I'd known we were doing a Halloween themed podcast this week, I probably would have prepared better. It's okay, but um, we're rolling with it. I got super fucking excited about my topic this week. So, ooh, okay, link up Halloween. Halloweeny weenie is a synonym for penis. I love where you're going with this, <laughs> wherever it is. <laughs> We will not be talking about penis envy, but we will be talking about the opposite of penis envy, which is womb envy. Link up there. Link up there. Boom, clap, sign, seal, deliver. Mic drop. I'm done. That's my whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so womb envy. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Well, I'm going to start us off with a quote because I love a good quote. I love a good quote. So, quote, although misogyny, patriarchy, and gender inequality are central concepts of gender studies, the original causes of these symptoms are not as widely explored as the symptoms itself. Womb envy has been cited as a possible cause of all of these. Mm. Okay. So we've kind of talked about penis envy, but today I want to tell you about a female 
a psychologist named Karen Horney. Or Karen Horning? Karen Horning, which is how it's spelled. Is it? I googled it. It's pronounced Horney. She is from Germany. She okay. married an Austrian question mark. Uh, but I'm going to tell you about her life and uh, womb envy and one of her other theories. Okay. So we're going to do a little deep dive into a famous female psychologist. Awesome. It's about time. I know. It's taken me. How long have we been at this? Long ass time. A thousand years. Yeah. Dr. Hornet is a neo-Freudian psychiatrist who proposed the concept of womb envy. Womb envy is the idea that men may feel a desire for biological functions of female bodies, such as pregnancy, childbirth, and breastfeeding. Mm. These emotions could fuel the social subordination of women and drive men to try and succeed in other areas of their life. So basically, men don't have control over these things and might want to either experience these things or subconsciously want to experience these things. Mm -hmm. And since they can't, they're like, well, let me outshine females assigned at birth Mm -hmm. in every other area. Okay. So Dr. Hornet pr- proposed that men experience womb envy more powerfully than women because, quote, men need to disparage women more than women need to disparage men, end quote. Mm. This feeling is stronger in men because they want to live up to the male stereotypes of having the upper hand and being dominant over everyone, which makes total fucking sense. Yup. Uh, There's literally this whole experience that individuals assigned male at birth or those with male reproductive systems physically cannot do. They physically cannot give birth to children. Childbearing individuals often find it fulfilling to create new life and take pride in their ability to raise children and to sustain life. It's the coolest magic trick ever. Yeah, for sure. Best DIY project. Yeah. Hornet proposed that womb envy was a cultural and psychosocial tendency, like the concept of penis envy, um, rather than an innate male psychological trait. She believed that when it arises, it's because men don't feel as though they're in control or powerful in their lives the way they thought they were before. Basically, this means that she blames the differences between men and women on society and culture rather than biology. She argued that women are not envious for a penis that they would never be able to have but instead men um envied men for their power in society Mm -hmm. this is the reason that men deny women equal rights demonize the female body and sexuality and are so obsessed with controlling women's reproductive health um and abortion rights Mm. and honestly it kind of makes sense like it's the only thing that men or people assigned male at birth can do that people assigned female at birth who have these reproductive organs are able to do. Mm-hmm. So, of course, men are like, we must control absolutely everything. Right. Let's do this shit. Yeah. So they, like, try and really... Yeah. They said a word we didn't understand. Let's get them. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk a- about uh, Dr. Horney. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dr. Horney. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine her, like, going to middle school? Like... <laughs> She could have never. Oh no, but that's that's her married name. Mm-hmm. Why just keep? Well, Karen Danielson is a much more boring name. Yeah, I get. I mean, I guess. I guess as yeah. an adult, people are gonna like pretend that your name's not horny and then talk about it behind your back for sure. So Karen Danielson was born in Germany, September sixteenth of eighteen eighty five. 
Hashtag Virgo season. She was the second of two children, so she had an older brother. And while she was never close with her parents, she was really close with her brother. Her father was a ship captain and Protestant traditionalist nicknamed the Bible Thrower because he would literally throw Bibles. So it's a very fitting name. There's that, yeah. Her mother was also Protestant, but apparently was a little bit more open-minded. However, Karen describes her as depressed, irritable, and domineering. All of this is relevant later. Karen kept detailed diaries beginning around the age of 13. And she knew even at that age that she wanted to become a doctor, even though at that time, women were not allowed to attend universities. Mm -hmm. So because we're talking about Freud and that eventually leads us to gender and attachment and child relationships with their parents, it's important to note that by her own account, Karen perceived her dad as holding her brother in higher esteem than her. And she considered him to be a cruel disciplinary figure. Karen always felt deprived of her father's attention and instead became attached to her mother, who was still pretty cold and distant. Read into that what you will. It's also important to note that she was born only about 30 years after Freud, who was born in Austria. So, like, they were next-door neighbors, practically. Mm -hmm. That's like somebody now being born. Yeah. And then growing up in 20 years from now, being contemporaries. Mm -hmm. By the time she was 21, so he would have been 51, She was able to go to medical school and was determined to be part of the generation of contributors to the field of psychoanalytics. The University of Freiburg was one of the first institutions in Germany to enroll women in medical courses. Higher ed had only become available to women in Germany in like 1900. So by 1906, she's killing it. Mm. She's already in. She's doing great. In 1908, she transfers to the University of Göttingen. And later, the University of Berlin, where she graduated with her MD in 1913. Yes, but so she's fucking work. killing it, working. In 1920, Dr. Horne was a founding member of the Berlin Psychoanalytic Institute, where she helped design and direct the society's training program, taught students, and conducted psychoanalytic research. Apparently, despite teaching at Berlin Psychoanalytic Society, she was pretty strongly deviating from the Freudian doctrine that was really prevalent at the time. Oh, you don't say. Weird, right? It's like they're going to have some rift or something. Right. Like it doesn't align with anything in reality. Yeah. Also, like, she's way ahead of her time. Oh, yeah. You said 18, and I was like, even the year, I was like, fuck. To be talking about womb envy oh, yeah. in, like, the early 1900s. Like, she couldn't go to school. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, the reason I can't go to school is because you motherfuckers. Right. Are, Fucking patriarchy. Like, trying to control the shit out of our bodies and mm-hmm. our minds. Mm-hmm. We get it. Okay. So, um, Freud was apparently already paying attention to her at this point. Um... His kids were all grown up and he wanted something younger to focus on. (laughs) So he's like, who's this uh, new agey person who absolutely cannot stand me? Mm -hmm. Let's hate on her. So he tries to cancel her. Oh. Hashtag cancel culture. Um, I'm sure he does. So Freud's increasing coolness towards her and her concern over the rise of Nazism in Germany motivated her to accept a position or to accept an invitation by Franz Alexander to become his assistant at the Chicago Institute of Psychoanalytics. So in 1932, she and her daughters moved to the U.S. 
Later, she moved to Germany, or later she moved to Brooklyn to work with Jewish refugees from Nazi Germany. Mm. So, Freud was not a Nazi sympathizer, just to clarify. He was also of Jewish descent or Jewish heritage. Um, but he, like, refused to leave Nazi-occupied Austria and Germany. Um, the Nazis burned a lot of his work and said that it was anti-German. But he wasn't actively, like, fighting the Nazis. He said he preferred to, quote, shelter in place rather than seek asylum among the money-obsessed savages he believed to be the American populace, end quote. Wow. Yeah, so that's how he felt about us. Okay. And she was like, nah, we need to get out of here because mm-hmm. we've still got work to do. Well, that just, I mean, maybe he, I don't know. Never yeah. mind. So before we move on from Freud altogether, I'd like to point out that she agreed with him about the importance of dreams, the subconscious, and the way a person's childhood shapes their adulthood. She deviated sharply on his analysis of women. Hmm. Isn't that shocking? You don't say. She felt that sex and aggression were not the primary factors that shape personality. What? Huh. Um, And that there were other influences on personality, including social relationship factors during childhood and the conscious mind uh, playing a role in personality, not just the subconscious repression, which is Freud's theory. Mm -hmm. While in Brooklyn, Hornet developed her theories regarding neurosis and personality. So we're getting into her second big theory, or this is really her biggest theory. She also had the womb Uh, Envy, which I just thought was fun to start with. Mm -hmm. In 1937, she published um, The Neurotic Personality of Our Time, which was an article that had a huge readership. She viewed neurosis in a different light than other people at this time in that she believed neurosis to be a continuous process with neuroses commonly occurring in a person's lifetime which is different than most psychoanalytics of the time, which believed that it was a negative malfunction of the mind in response to external stimuli. What that means is that she believed that it was something about the wiring of your brain that was causing people to be neurotic Mm -hmm. um, and not just like someone died and you're responding to it. Right. Ultimately, we know it's a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. but she really believed there was something about the wiring of your brain. Checks out. Yeah. As a reminder, neurosis is a class of functional mental disorders involving chronic distress, but does not include hallucinations or delusions, and it's not a term that's used anymore. However, researchers continue to investigate this piece of personality, and pop culture has kind of highlighted neurotic behaviors as being quirky and cute, Um, but they're often relate or they're often rooted in mood and anxiety issues so recognizing these behaviors and addressing them can improve your overall mental health and wellness hornet believed that this was a distorted way of looking at the world and oneself which was determined by our needs rather than a genuine interest in the world as it is so she thought that if someone was being neurotic, they were just hyper-focused on their needs and not able to enjoy the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she also believed that a, person, or a child's perception of events, rather than the parent's intention, is the key to understanding a person's neurosis. For example, if a parent is lacking warmth and affection, the child could be impacted, even if the parent feels like they're doing a good job. 
Hornet identified 10 patterns of neurotic needs. A neurotic person could exhibit all of these needs, through, though in practice, not all would be present for a person to be considered neurotic. Um, these 10 needs can be classed into three broad categories that I'm going to cover for you now. Oh, I love so, a list. I know you are curious and I love a good list. So the first category of need is compliance, which is moving towards others. So this is the need for affection and approval, pleasing others and um, wanting to be liked by others. The need for a partner, uh, one with whom they can love and someone who will help them solve all their problems. The need for social recognition, prestige, and the limelight. And the need for personal admiration um, for inner and outer qualities to be valued. And if those are not four of the core needs that I think I have as a human, mm-hmm. like I think the need for affection and social recognition, personal admiration, like those seem very important to me. Those are love languages. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. <laughs> yeah. And what we know about love languages is that they shift based on what you feel like you're getting enough of versus mm-hmm. what you feel like you're needing more of. Exactly. Those um, are always changing. Yeah, exactly. And it's so hard, especially if you're an anxious person or if you have you know different attachment styles, to feel like you're not having your needs met in this way. Mm-hmm. So not having one of these needs met could cause you to spiral down an anxious hole, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The second category is aggression or moving against people. And this includes the need for power, which is the ability to bend wills and achieve control over others. While most persons seek strength, the neurotic may be desperate for it. The need to exploit others or to get the better of them. Um, this could turn into manipulation and fostering the belief that people are simply there to be used. So if we're thinking about like narcissism or mm-hmm. other like major um, controlling behaviors, they could come from this specific component of neuroses mm-hmm. that she's highlighting. And then there's the third category, which is withdrawal or moving away from people. And this is the need for personal achievement through virtually all or though virtually all persons wish to make achievements with um, the neurotic may be desperate for ach- achievement. So with or without the recognition of others, just like super duper goal oriented. Or maybe it's like feeling overshadowed by other people. Maybe. Yeah. Um, the need for self-sufficiency and independence while most desire autonomy, the, neur- the neurotic may simply wish to discard other individuals entirely. Um, the need for perfection. While many others are driven to perfect their lives in the form of well-being, the neurotic may display their fear of being slightly flawed, so perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And lastly, the need to restrict life practices within narrow borders to live as inconspicuous a life as possible. So really like pushing people away. Mm-hmm. Um, think of this as more of an uh, avoidant attachment style. Mm-hmm. So she dives into a very detailed explanation of all of the above needs and their corresponding solutions in her book, Neuroses and Human Growth, which I think is interesting. Like, I've never heard of these different needs being broken down in this way. Um so I really appreciated that. And it gave me a moment for like self-reflection. It seems a lot more relatable, possibly because it's coming from a woman. Maybe. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm less likely to be like, eh, 
Yeah. I'm much more willing to accept her opinions. Well, and we also started out with her theory about, like, where misogyny and patriarchy comes from. Mm -hmm. Like, we started out on a really good note with her. Yeah, super relatable. So we feel really good about her at this point. And the fact that it's still, like, you know, a hundred and the, what year is it? 40 years later, (laughs) you know, and the same shit's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um. And I think she just really hit the nail on the head with a lot of this, even though, like, we don't use the word neurotic anymore. Right. Um, And we know that womb envy is not like penis envy and that Freud meant it literally. Right. And she was using it as, like, a figurative explanation for, like, why certain people may control other people Mm -hmm. and it's just this desire to control their bodies because it's not something men can do and uh, yeah it's like i cannot relate to that right so i so let me control it control it and dismiss it yeah yeah i see what you're saying yeah so throughout her life she struggled with mental illness which i think is one of the reasons that she was so interested in this field and her view mild and anxiety disorders and full-blown personality disorders all fall under the basic same scheme of neuroses Um, the opposite of which she calls self-realization. And this is a state in which a person responds to the world with the full depth of their feelings rather than anxiety-driven compulsion. So the purest form without any haze? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's just like being able to really enjoy life, not have anxiety, not push people away. Right. Not uh, be aggressive towards other. Exactly. Exactly. She compares this process to an acorn becoming a tree. Here's a direct quote. The acorn has the potential for a tree inside it all along. I think that's so cute. That is, that's very cute. Super cute. Now I want to be an acorn for Halloween. (laughs) Basically, there are what feels like hundreds of different theories about why mental health arises within people. And Dr. Hornays provides two analyses. While her womb envy theory does seem to rely more on Freud's belief to create this like super cool balance, it's important to note that she is definitely perceiving this to be a societal problem and not a gender problem, which is a very sociological perspective. Psychologically, she contributed by presenting her theory of neurotic needs. She was also a pioneer in the discipline of feminine psychiatry and was the first female psychiatrist to present a paper on feminine psychiatry. Um, and over the next 15 years of her career, she wrote 14 additional papers. Mm. Hamilton wrote the other 51. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. I have in my notes, pause for a Hamilton quote. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> she felt that mapping out the needs and trends in female behavior was a neglected issue. Women were regarded as objects of charm and beauty and did not, that did not jive with her belief that every human's being ultimate purpose was self-actualization. She also worked to de-romanticize the Victorian concept of marriage and monogamy and explained that, quote, the monogamous demand represents the fulfillment of narcissistic and sadistic impulses far more than it indicates the wishes of genuine love. A quote from her work that, um, or a quote from her work, the problem of the monogamous ideal. So she really covered every topic yeah. that was pertaining to women. And she did this a hundred years. I was going to say early. Like she had almost no contemporary who was talking about the things that she was talking about on the level that she was talking about them. Karen Hornet died at the age of 67 Aww. in December of 1952. Um, 
about six months later, the Karen Hornet Clinic opened in on May 6th of 1955 in New York City to honor her achievements. Since then, the institution seeks to research and train medical and psychiatric professionals as well as um, serve low as a low income treatment center for women and all individuals. Wow. Yeah. It is really refreshing to hear that there was a space for her Mm -hmm. and she had to fight for that, you know, but that there was, you know, counter conversation. Yeah. As a, like counter Freud and like what was mainstream at the time. Right. No, absolutely. Which makes sense because every time there's something popular, there's going to be a counter culture against it. Right. Uh, speaking of the Adams family. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. good link up there. Oh, thank you so much. Look at you. Um, I think it's also really cool that she. Oh, I lost my train of thought. It was really cool that her name was Horny. <laughs> it's also really cool that she's talking about this at a time when, like, the wandering womb was still semi common. Like, it was yeah. still a thing that was being talked about. Um, so there was just very little understanding of really anything about bodies or psychology, psychiatry. Like she was on the front end of a lot of this. Um, She must have been met with so much shit from her peers. Oh, absolutely. You know, her superiors. And I'm sure it's a very tough industry to be in to to be like developing new ideas, you know, because People are going to be, you know, against you pretty much no matter where you fall. Mm-hmm. I think that still exists today. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that she didn't stand down. Um, and the fact that I've never heard of her sucks. It super sucks. Um, that was my Google for today. I was like, I really want to cover someone like a female psychiatrist, psychologist, someone who's contributed to the field. Um, and there are a few other people who are on my list, but the topics were much, much deeper than I wanted to get into for today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her name jumped out, and I heard, saw Womb Envy, and I was like, done. Click. Done. We need to know everything about this person. I really do think that because if, if you feel like you're unable to relate to somebody, it, it allows you so much more to other them and want to put them in the box, the same yeah. box we've been talking about for 30 something episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she described it beautifully. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. I just cannot believe that she was talking about this in the early 1900s. Like it sounds oh like God. a theory that would have come out today. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. You out. said she was born in 18 what? 1885 question mark um yeah 1885 that is wild mm-hmm. yeah wild so, cool. so wild cool. yeah she lived a big life i hate that she passed so young i know me too um i think she would be i would be intrigued to hear more of her thoughts mm-hmm. like i need to go and learn more about her now yeah absolutely yeah well awesome cool you ready to take a break and then we'll jump into your topic yes girl we are talking about halloween that's the from the movie the the halloween movie mm-hmm. you don't say mm, i do <laughs> <laughs> all right let's take a quick break
And we're back. And we're back. On this spooky episode of Podcast Without an Audience. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we are going to be talking about Halloween. This is Halloween. Everybody may go through. Okay, so I fucking love Halloween. 90% of our audience is obsessed with it. Of course they are. And the other 10, like, give them, like, five years. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. I do. All right. So let's break it down. Let's talk about the history of Halloween. Halloween originated from the Celtic Festival of Samhain, which is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Yes. Yes, And is. is bizarre, but that's how it's pronounced. So Samhain was a pagan religious festival with roots in a Celtic spiritual tradition. Today, Samhain is usually celebrated from October 31st to November 1st, but we'll get into it kind of extended a little bit past that in in previous times. Um, But Samhain marks the end of summer and the end of the harvest and welcomes in the darker half of the year. So we know it starts getting darker earlier. We're feeling that? For five, sure. Um. May the seasonal depression begin. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> we have like two weeks until the time change. One Fuck. week at, at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'm so ready for it. I'm not. So it was um, thought that the barriers between the physical and spiritual world were broken during Samhain, which allowed more interaction between humans and the spirits Ooh. and the other worlds. It also is believed that ghosts would return to Earth during this time. So the gates were open. Yeah. I can totally feel it. Ancient Celts marked this time as the most significant for fire the first fire festivals because it took place directly between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. During this time of year, People left their burning fires in their homes, and they would go to harvest the rest of their crops. So the fires were being burned. Fire is is basically the main Mm -hmm. source of spiritual connection during this time. It's used uh, for expressing and connecting. I think it also keeps out bad spirits, question mark. It's about, yeah, I mean, it's keeping out, I mean, it's all about intent. So you Mm -hmm. can burn different fires for different things, but I know... Um, a lot of different cultures around the world have like water or fire or earth or like some type of element that they use during different parts of the time. So this one is fire. I love that. So they would leave um, their fires burning in their homes. And instead of extinguishing them, when they went to go harvest the crops, they would let them burn down. Okay. After the harvest was completed, the Druid priests would join the community and light a communal fire. The technique used to light this fire was they used a wheel, which represented the sun, to cause friction and thus spark a spark to light the communal fire. And it was tradition for the people to light a torch from the communal file fire and bring it back to their homes to relight the fire in their home. Oh, cool. Isn't that cool? I love that. Like bringing a little piece of it with you. Yeah. Yeah. 
bringing that energy into your home. I mean, it's been blessed. Yeah. The priest did it. It's got to be good. Indoor plumbing. (laughs) Samhain is depicted in early texts as mandatory celebrations. So it was like, you got to go. But it, it used to last for three days and three nights. Each member of the community was obligated to show up and show their face. If you failed to do so, punishment was from the gods, which usually manifested in either illness or death. Speaking of death, (laughs) everyone who committed a crime or even drew their weapon during Samhain was given a death sentence. Holy shit. Yikes. All right. They took this very seriously. Also, there was no tricking. It was just treating. Well... Well, they weren't about the tricks. They, the tricks come a little bit later, but they were like sacrificing animals and just like general sacrifices. Would you call that a trick or a treat? I would call that a trick. I would call that a trick as well. I was going to say, do you feel like that's a treat? <laughs> I don't know how they would perceive it. I mean, right. I'm, at that point, they may have perceived it as a treat. And not for the animal, but yeah, I no. see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, some documents say that it was six days of nonstop drinking. Everybody was getting drunk. Um, they were usually drinking beer at this time. Um, and then there was also a lot of feasting and communal gatherings over food. Quote, because the Celts believed that the barrier between worlds was breachable during Samhain, They prepared offerings that were left outside villages and fields for fairies or SIDS, which are like ghosts. It was expected that ancestors might cross over during this time as well, and Celts could dress as animals and monsters so that fairies were not tempted to kidnap them. Ooh, Mm. that's fun. Some specific monsters were associated with the mythology surrounding Samhain, including a shape-shifting creature named Puka that received harvest offerings from the field. The Lady Gwen is a headless woman dressed in white who chased night wanderers and was accompanied by a black pig. Is a pig's ass pink? Is a pig's pussy pork? <laughs> Um, the, uh, I, I, <laughs> so the Doolahan sometimes appeared as impish creatures, sometimes headless men on horses who carried their heads. So sometimes it would appear as a headless horseman, which we've heard of. Hashtag yep. Ichabod Crane. Johnny Depp. Same thing. <laughs> Um, riding flame-eyed horses, their appearance was a death omen to anyone who encountered them. A group of hunters known as fairy hosts might also haunt Sawin and kidnap people. Similar, the Sluag, who would come from the West to enter homes and steal souls. Ooh. So there was... There was some a little shit bit going of down. paranoia, you know. Yeah. What's good is that you know they only had to worry about it for a couple days. Yeah, and then the realities of all of the other terrors of the world for the other three hundred and sixty, whatever days. Sure. So bonfires began to pop up 
uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, like additional communal bonfires during Samhain. And they were kind of getting more closer to people's homes, kind of like a neighborhood situation. Um, And they were to protect the communities from fairies and witches. So they would carve turnips in the Middle Ages called jack-o'-lanterns. I have heard about that. They're so cute. Have you seen pictures? They're so cute. They're so precious. Yeah. So those started popping up. Um, They would attach sticks to them. And then they had coals inside the turnips instead of like a lit. Yeah. That's how they were glowing, which I always thought that was interesting. I mean, I feel like that would make sense because at that point, like candles would be like you wouldn't want to waste a candle. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, but later, Irish tradition swapped the turnip for the punky. In Wales, however, men threw burning wood at each other as a game. <laughs> 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 they also set off fireworks. So, you know, Ireland is like, we're going to put a coals and some turnips and like march them around. And then in Wales, they're like, fuck that. We're, gonna we're just going to throw straight wood at each what other. What would happen if we threw this wood at each other? <laughs> Yeah, I can't do a Wales accent, but yeah. No, I think you nailed that. Thanks. Um, so I'm, I don't really love, I don't really know exactly where this term came from, but there was a tradition called Dumb Supper, which began during the Middle Ages. Families would invite their ancestors to join them for a meal. Ooh. They would allow them the opportunity to eat... So they would offer the food as, you know, for for the ancestors. And then after the ancestors did not eat it, the families would then consume it. So they offered it up first. Yeah. And then had themselves a really nice dinner. Cool. Games were played to entertain the dead. So it was kind of like one of the child- children's responsibility was to connect with them in that way. Like, let's play a game with the dead. And then the adults... We're basically like trying to catch up the all of the dead people and all the gossip that had happened that year and was like, let me tell you what's happening and, and who had who else had passed and kind of like what had been happening in the communities. Yeah. Um, during the night, it was common for doors and windows to be left open to allow the dead to come and go as they pleased, see the families. Um, and then the families would also leave them cake Oh, isn't that cute? cute? It's like a Santa. Oh, yeah. I would so much rather leave cake for like my great grandfather than I would cookies for a fat man I've never met. Sure. I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as Christianity was growing, Christian communities attempted to claim Samhain as a Christian holiday. Pope Boniface, which also looks like bonfire if you're reading it quickly, which sure. is kind of ironic, um, in the 5th century moved the celebration of Samhain to May 13th. So it pushed it forward like six months. I don't know that they can actually do that, though. Oh, but they did for uh, like 300 years. Really? Yeah. So he rebranded it as a day to celebrate saints and martyrs. However... Everybody was like, fuck this. We're still going to celebrate Samhain in October and November. So at this, they were having basically two different celebrations. The communities were like, no, this is ours. You can't just claim it. Yeah. Can't, do you have a flag? You can't sit with us. Right. 
Um, but in the ninth century, Pope Gregory moved it back to late October, but declared it All Saints Day on November 1st. I was wondering who did that. Mm-hmm. It was Pope Gregory. October 31st became known as All Hallows Eve, and then eventually Halloween. Um, it was adapted in the U.S. through Irish immigrants. Trick-or-treating became popular, and it was brought over from ancient Ireland and Scotland. And in Ireland, they called it mumming, or dressing up in costumes and going door-to-door. Also, the cakes. They were giving cakes. We're doing it wrong. We're doing this totally wrong. Let me fucking tell you what happened. This is just me. I'm going off script here. Okay, let's do this. This is uncharted territory. Fucking set the scene. Capitalism. Fuck yeah. You know know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're like, buy this candy and give it to the children. No. No, bake your own, you know, cakes. If you've got time and the spoons, bake your own cake. Bake your own cakes. Also, I don't want a cake from a stranger, though, now, to be honest. I mean, that's COVID life. But, like, I would take a cupcake. That would be cute. Maybe not from a stranger, but from, like, I know most of my neighbors. I would get a cupcake from my neighbors. Mm Mm-hmm. We should arrange adult Halloween trick-or-treating and just go to all of our friends' houses and have them either give us booze or cake. I love that. My really good friend, Kelly, is an actual angel also. She's making our wedding cake. She's the best. She's a baker. That's incredible. A baker and a candlestick maker. She is life. And she would be the best person to visit on Halloween. Also, she's like a great mom and just is like super into all the holidays. That's so sweet. I hope to be her when I grow up. I know. We all need to be like Kelly. Yeah. Schmelly. Any we have to come tips or tricks, let me know. Her name is Kelly. <laughs> um, in the early 1920s, Halloween had become commercial as fuck. Of course it had. But by the Depression era, trick-or-treat and Halloween parties were kind of like a semi-affordable way to connect with your community Mm -hmm. so it lasted through the depression i love that i think it goes back to the conversation that we have all the time about how people have a desire for connection Mm -hmm. and like it doesn't have to be the nicest thing or the most formal thing like it can literally just be put a bed sheet over your kid Mm -hmm. call them a ghost and let's hang out right exactly yeah and even going door to door Oof, the Depression, end of World War One, mm-hmm. beginning of World War Two, coming up soon. It was a scary, like, legit a scary time. Yeah, for sure. It's also, like, escapism. Like, being oh, able absolutely. to dress up as somebody else, you know, be whoever you want to be, especially for children. Like, you know, you're like, do you want to be Superman? Yeah. Do you want to be Black Panther? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can be that, that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, Americans spend $6 billion on Halloween. Hmm. This puts it as the second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. That's not surprising. Mm -hmm. But But I never thought about it. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't either. Wow. So scary movies started to become another spooky seasonal tradition. The Halloween franchise, which began in the late 1970s, became extremely popular and still is today. Hashtag evil dies tonight. Hashtag the writing was terrible. 
The Halloween franchise inspired other slasher films such as Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. But then we've got the other side of the coin, which is like the family-friendly Halloween shit. I love that. Which is our favorite, which is like our Hocus Pocus, our Nightmare Before Christmas, our Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands is somewhere in there. Magic. Practical Sweeney Magic. Todd. Sweeney Todd. Um, I feel like I just watched another one that I wouldn't call Halloween, but was definitely Halloween. What mm. was it? I don't the remember. The Great Pumpkin. Oh, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. That's Poor cute. Charlie Brown. Uh, Haunted Mansion. Hunt. I haven't seen that one in a minute. You know what? I really... So I was recently in Disney, which we talked about on our last episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things we did one night was uh, pull up our favorite TV shows from like when we were kids and find their Halloween episode. Oh. So we watched like the boy meets world Halloween episode. Oh, that's that was so just cute. so fun. Like, cause you remember them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going back and watching a friend's Halloween episode. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was a really cool way to mark Halloween too. So in college, I was friends with these people that loved how I met your mother, uh-huh. which is, it's fine. Like it's, yeah, it's fine. It. Sure. Like I've watched it because they made me, it's fine. But they always had like the sexy pumpkin or the slutty pumpkin. Do you remember the slutty pumpkin? I don't remember. That one sticks pumpkin. with me. It's like Ted Mosby, who's like the sad architect main character guy. Yeah. Goes to this party because he met the slutty pumpkin. I do. The year before this. Yeah. and like is returning again and again to try to find her. Yeah. I or he, it that. wasn't the year before. It was like however many years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that for some reason sticks in my brain. Um, it's a good episode for years and years. Yeah. Yeah. But I've been thinking a lot about like during Halloween, like Halloween is a commercial business, commercial retail, like even like brick and mortar stores, like how are those all correlated? And I can't help but notice that spirit Halloween is thriving. You don't say. You don't say. So I couldn't do my notes without doing an entire section (laughs) on Spirit Halloween. Quote, Spirit Halloween LLC is an American seasonal retailer that supplies Halloween decorations, costumes, props, and accessories. It was founded in 1983 and is based in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey. Uh, you made that up. I did. It does not exist. That's the three names with egg and harbor and township. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? That's false. That's made up. Yeah, fake news. In 1999, the store had 60 seasonal locations and was purchased by Spencer's Gifts. No way. Yes. Holy shit. Today, the pop-up retailer has over a, th- a thousand locations across the U.S. and Canada. During the Halloween season, Spirit has over 1,400 actual stores in North America. The Spirit Halloween website is open year-round, offering its in-store products online at any time. I had no idea. The store carries decor manufactured by Kitty Design, Jemmy, Yujun, Seasonal Visions, Crazy Crate, New Ray Sun, Party Time Costumes, Seasonal USA, and Morbid Enterprises. 
Um, I hate that Morbid Enterprises is taken as a company name because that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's commitment right there. Yeah. Many decorations are exclusive to Spirit, which totally makes sense. Con- oh, for sure. Considering how big they are. Um, in late summer, Spirit Halloween typically puts out teaser videos on social media and YouTube to create ex- excitement of new items. A few days later, the videos are followed by another one officially revealing and announcing the item. The retailer typically makes use of vacant retail space, which Mm -hmm. we know. The stores typically operate for 60 to 90 days. That's it? That's it. Opening sometimes in early to mid-August and usually closing two or three days after Halloween. Wow. Locations are expanded with the closing of numerous brick-and-mortar retail stores since the 2010s. Joe Marver created the Spirit Halloween business model, a pop-up store catering to Halloween revealers, starting with his first pop-up location in Castro Valley Mall in 1984. Wow. He grew Spirit Halloween to 60 seasonal stores nationwide before it was acquired in 1999. His approach to short-term leases, locations, and stocking of widely variant merchandise was novel in the Halloween retail sector. Today, the Spirit Halloween network of pop-up stores is bigger than any other specialty retailer in the category, with new ownership expanding Marver's original concept to more than over a thousand locations, as we said. Spirit Halloween serves a Halloween customer marketing Market estimated at $8.4 billion yearly, according to the National Retail Federation. In 2006, Spirit launched a program called Spirit of Children to raise money in stores for children's hospitals. Oh. The program annually celebrates Halloween as hospitals loca- at hospital locations supplying costumes and decorations for the events. Oh, that's so sweet. In 2007, Spirit of Children has raised over $29 million in donations. On October 21st, 2016, Health Canada recalled eight products from Spirit Halloween for fire hazards and choking hazards. According to the article from Health Canada, quote, on several occasions, Spirit Halloween has agreed to voluntarily stop sale or recall products that do not meet Canadian health and safety regulation requirements. Notice the U.S. did not recall these items. <laughs> of course they um, did not. However, the Health Canada recently visited 45 stores across Canada and found that 23 stores continued to sell the products that Spirit Halloween had previously agreed to stop selling or recalling. End quote. No oh, capitalism. I know. So, speaking of capitalism, I just think, you know... Just like just like Valentine's Day, Halloween has become a thing where we just buy things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's natural for the the where we are as a society today. Yeah. Um but I love like the depression era Halloween is like where I want to be in my mind as far as communities and like just being together. Like we haven't been able to be together. Yeah. Let's just all, you know, safely gather this year and creep the shit out of each other. I love that. And I think that that's exactly what our plan is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that that will be our Halloween plans for many, many years to come. 
because like as much fun as trick-or-treating was and is like especially when we were little we were in neighborhoods where we knew everybody like I knew all of my neighbors growing up yeah Um, and it was still an opportunity to like go around and show off a fun costume but it wasn't about getting it was still totally about getting tons of candy yeah but I'd love to bring back the handmade cupcakes and things that sounds fun you get a cupcake and you get a cupcake (laughs) yeah we need to make cupcakes that's a thing it's gotta be a thing fun we could do pumpkin cupcakes (gasps) i have a really good pumpkin okay i'm just gonna share this on the pod okay so what you're gonna do is you're gonna get a can of pumpkin and you're gonna get a box of spiced cake mix okay so spiced cake mix one cup of pumpkin mix those together one cup or one can one can sorry okay one can mix them together don't add any water no eggs none of that is necessary pop that shit in the oven at 350 and you have amazing pumpkin spice cupcakes Mm -hmm. you're welcome you don't need anything else nothing else really yes ma'am cross my heart and hope to die and they're not dry no they're moist as fuck Really? Yes. Hey, Allie, mm-hmm. do you want to make cupcakes? Yeah. Do you Can want me to make cupcake? them or you want to make them together? Um, Unclear. I would love for us to make them together, but by that, I would love to have a beer while you are making them. <laughs> okay. That sounds more like you. <laughs> Absolutely. So that, my friend, is the story of Halloween. I always enjoy your story so much, but I especially loved this one. Tis so, the season. Tis the season. Good job. Thanks. All right, so as far as intersections go, we could talk intersections. It would be expected of us to talk intersections because we talk intersections at the end of every episode. Or we can continue talking about Halloween because I'm just so stinking excited. Yeah, I think the, the, the intersections lie in that the word Halloween has letters that you've said and the words that and, you've said. And letters that you've said uh-huh. as well. And then we're all connected um and community and we all hate freud amen cheers to that cheers to that cool um so let's get back to talking about halloween for a second okay because i when we're thinking oh well maybe this is kind of a link up so when we're thinking about men like trying to keep women subordinate and maybe even objectifying them a little bit i can't help but think about um, like the sexy Halloween costumes that are very much like they feel like they're for the male gaze. That goes back to the relatable thing, like not feeling like you can be uh, like you have to be performative in everything sure. that you do and you can't just be scary oh, yeah. or be smart or be, you know what I mean? Just uh-huh. like fucking be yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, girl, if you want to do it, fucking do it. You look great. No matter what size, fucking do your shit. Sure. You know, but also know that you can you can do all kinds of Halloween costumes. Yeah, yeah. And I think the key is, like, what do you feel confident in and what makes you feel good and makes you feel, like, sexy? And it has nothing to do with how other people perceive you. I wonder if it's just because, like, Halloween's one of those occasions where we're like, fuck, we got to do something on Halloween because yeah. I haven't gone out of the house in three months. So, like, I want to look my best. Like, especially right now, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to look hot AF on Halloween. So, I think one of the things that stood out to me recently is there are all these, like, super sexy costumes. And then there are cosplayers who try to do, like, 
their thing to match a character as much as possible. Mm -hmm. What I enjoy the most is finding a character or something that I'm interested in doing it and then figuring out how to make it my own Mm -hmm. so that I feel good and confident, but it's still like my twist on it, my take on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I've sort of always been that way, but I'm definitely coming into it more the older I get and like defining my style more. Oh, yeah. And your comfort levels and all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm interested in costumes that are not traditionally sexy that are then made sexy. Like sexy Voldemort? Do you remember Voldemort this? is always sexy. <laughs> That's fair. Um, <laughs> I love his nose. I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Abracadabra. Um, Did you say abracadabra? I said abracadabra, but my tongue got stuck on the second part. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about like, like there is nothing like I don't know, like nurses and doctors. Like, there's nothing less sec. I don't know. Like, you're in fucking scrubs all day, and you're like stitching people back together, and yet they. They make it sexy. Yeah. I think that those are sexy because they're, they feel intimate. Like Mm. someone is taking care of you Mm. and they, you got like a sexy voice when you say somebody's going to take care of you. Um, role-playing sounds fun Mm -hmm. but for halloween costumes i don't find them particularly appealing i've seen a sexy um oh fuck oh i've seen a sexy boogeyman from nightmare before christmas have you really yeah and it was not just a mummy it was like actually the boogeyman from nightmare before yeah he's the guy that kind of looks like the mummy no he's the guy that looks like he's made of burlap oh okay yeah cool cool like Um, a sandman vibe yeah 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 uh he's full of worms but yeah like that's not you know there it's just also also huh fucking 11 people like really people had like sexy 11 costumes from oh yeah uh, stranger things stranger things i'm like she's fucking a lot like 10 years old yeah yeah let's not sexualize her like if you want to dress up as 11 that's cool does not need to be made sexy it does not need to be made sexy thank you yeah no i'm with you on that one there's also an issue with cultural appropriation in costumes yep um that i think we're sort of figuring out i think so too i think leaps and bounds are being made for sure and there's also this really interesting discussion of like especially for anime characters like can you dress up as an anime character without being culturally appropriative Mm -hmm. so i think there's a difference between dressing up as a character um versus like dressing up as a representation of a stereotype like a geisha or you know whatever else yep yep yeah like the cinco de mayo shit needs to fucking stop oh absolutely my sister got married on like around i guess the day after the day before cinco uh whatever and um, it was in Austin, Texas. And I remember Ray and I walking around downtown and like these people literally in sombreros and also dressed as tacos were on those fucking shitty 
scooter things just like buzzing around fucking Austin. And I was like, I want to throw a rock at all of their tires and I want them to fall over and be injured. Is that I wish that that surprised me more than it does. I know. it's, it's And it does not. Absolutely. It's heartbreaking, honestly. It's like... Oh, yeah. Because they don't know anything about the culture. They don't know anything about what they're celebrating, why they're celebrating it. It's just Taco Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. Ugh. And think about that when you're dressing up your kids, you know... Is this a costume or is this the life that somebody lives and are you representing it correctly? Right, right. Like there's a difference between, um, you know, dressing up as an indigenous person versus dressing up like Moana. Like if your Mm -hmm. kid is obsessed with Moana, they can be Moana Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's fine. You don't need to dress them up as an indigenous person. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So... Well, let us know what you're going to be for Halloween. We should put out a poll. I will Ooh. for sure put out a poll. If anyone wants to take a picture with their Halloween costume and send it to us, especially if you have a pod without an odd like sticker or something, that would be super cool. Maybe we can come up with something fun to send you back. Oh, yeah. I don't know what yet. A lock of Carrion's hair. Would that be good? Oh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Gives me a great excuse to shave it off. Tis the season to be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. We'll see what happens. Who knows what she'll get back? Unclear, but definitely tag us for sure. If you have not left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, what the fuck are you doing? Is that too mean? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. But if you have the spoons to leave us a five-star review, and if you liked us, please do. I'm sorry I yelled. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't, just go ahead and do it. Just do what feels right in your heart. You will get our undying love for the rest of time. Absolutely. Um, maybe some toenail clippings. We'll see. Oh, oh, I love that. All the cells are just yeah. in the mail. Yeah. Don't frame um, us for murder, please. If you are interested in supporting us through Patreon, head to patreon.com, search for us under podcasts without an audience. We are, you're able to, you know, donate at three different tiers at a certain tier, you're able to pick topics for us, which are coming up in the pipeline. But at every tier, you get our pasta recipe. And that's really where it's at. That's true. It's priceless. Yeah, we should consider adding a new recipe soon since you're like giving out recipes for free now. Well, that's a good point. Just a thought. That's a good point. You also get access to our close friends group on Instagram where I do share secret stuff. Like my secret trip. Oh, your Disney trip was exclusive. Yeah, we did. We only shared that with close friends. Carrie Ann had like the best fucking time at Disney and we posted all of that only to the close friends group. Yeah, because I know that none of y'all will come and break into my house and steal my cats, which is my biggest fear when I'm not at home. Nobody's going to steal your cats. I mean... They're pretty cute, though. I know. They're cute. They're cute. Anyway, we love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Always remember to be relatable and just be yourself. Oh, that was so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Happy Halloween. Check your kids' candy for razors. Fuck, (laughs) Carrie. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. 
shoot us an email at podwithoutanod at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.